iPads. See another one over there? Oh, there you go. All right, we are going to get started. Um, so we'll get started here. Uh, first off, just as a recap of what we were covering last week. Uh, last week was on, the last two weeks actually, was on healing. We had healing part one and part two. And um, yeah, the goal was to understand that healing still exists today. There's many ways to do it. The main thing is to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, and honestly, let him take control. Let him take over. That's the best way to do it. You just get out of the way and allow him to speak to you and then for you to administer. Um, and we went over various ways to do it, whether that just be literally laying on and ha- laying on in hands. You don't even have to say anything. Just lay hands on someone, and I've seen get people get healed. I've had people get healed by me just pointing and speaking. Um, and other times, it's over the phone. So there's tons of ways to do it. Um, and like we said before, no, I didn't spit in anybody's eyes or anything like that. I haven't done that. Um, although that, the person that, that shared that, um, the testimony of doing something along those lines, you know, that's why you cannot restrict the Holy Spirit's movement. Um, the only, and like, that's why I I don't like to put God in a box. Um, my logical box or my box of sometimes fear is the biggest thing where we're like, we're afraid to do something and because, we just, oh, this is awkward. You know, what are people going to think? Or, oh, what if this doesn't work? You know, all of those things is in fear and not in faith. And once you start actually stepping into the faith aspect, you start seeing crazy stuff happen, and then you just keep doing it. Um, the one thing that happens typically is we see success, and we see success, and then we start having a method. And then that method then takes out the power of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit, let's say, because then it becomes a work of the flesh and not of the Spirit. Um, and that's some things, and I'm just sharing personal things with you. That's what has happened with me uh, in the past. And now it's more so, okay, Lord, the, the best prayer for me is help. Um, literally, I just, okay, Lord, uh, I need help here because I can't do anything without you. So I need you here present, and I need your presence to uh, take care of the issue. Uh, I always look at it as I'm, I literally just take Jesus to the issue and then Jesus takes care of everything else. My only responsibility is to go because that was what the Lord commanded. Um, we're moving on to another one, which is spiritual warfare. That's getting a little bit deeper and deeper as we go. Uh, spiritual warfare um, is something that sometimes gets talked about in the church. Um, uh, other times it's completely uh, missed. Okay. The main thing thing here is that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we need to focus on those aspects when we are looking at the entire picture. It's like, okay, is someone getting stuff stolen? Is someone getting like things killed? And is things getting destroyed? Well, that's the work of the enemy, okay? What we have a tendency to do is through theology, we look at God and we start blaming God for those things when really it was Satan's doing. Okay, Um, with that being said, uh, we're going to start with prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you and I praise you for this wonderful group of people. Father, you just keep growing us into your image. Father, help us renew our mind through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through fellowship with you, with believers, Father. Uh, Believing believers, Uh, that's that's the main thing, Father, that not only do we believe but we're able to live out that belief system in this world that we have right now. So we're bringing the kingdom 
here on earth. And Father, I just thank you for the opportunities you've blessed us with. Just remove the veil from our eyes so that we're able to see in the Spirit what's going on. Holy Spirit, just keep illuminating us and our walk. Have us focused on the next step. Just the next step. That's all we need is that next step, Father. Thank you for peace and thank you for rest. Rest in you. Thank you, Lord, that you have breathed life back into us. That you've given us that peace. And Father, that we take the joy that we have, the light that we have, and we shine it for the whole world to see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Most High King. Thank you for the abundance of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so just when we think about war, and then I'm going to let Debbie take over like she usually does. When we think about war, you know, if you were a soldier going off to war and you didn't have any armor on, was that a good decision? Of course, the answer is no. The first thing that the enemy's going to see is that you don't have your helmet on, this, this, that, all of that, okay? Um, and the enemy will key on those things, and they're going to go for that, that weakness um, that they see. So before we even can dive into, let's say, warfare, we actually have to have our spiritual armor on. And then we also have to be aware of what the enemy is doing, um, by asking the Lord, it's okay, Lord, what's going on in the situation? That's kind of the best start for me. I, I'm not going to go in blazing, you know, I, I just don't, I don't really go about doing that. I always ask the Lord for his, like, intuition, his insight into the battle. Um, and you even know from the Old Testament standpoint, when you, you have it where the Lord gives, gives insight into what the enemy's doing. And then how to defeat them. Interestingly enough, we find, and that's in the same instance, it's the same situation arises, but the, there's a different tactic being done um, the next time. So we cannot settle for what we've heard in the past. We have to always be constantly under the, the flow of him to allow for victory to happen. Does that make sense? All right. So um, that's why it's always a constant communication with him. And so on and so forth. Uh, it's just like uh, when you're when you're somewhat like a soldier in war, where they've got a radio and they're talking to their sergeant or their their boss, whatever it may be. They're in the right frequency. They're hearing what's being done. Okay, I want you to go over here. Okay, let's go, guys. All right. Same thing when we're dealing with spiritual warfare is that our communication with the Father is of the utmost importance. Okay. Also. Knowing your identity, knowing just foundational things that we've already learned, okay, um, in the previous chapters. All this is the preparation for actually going out and doing, all right? Because I know I've gone out there and I've, if the enemy sees a little weakness, he's going to skewer you there, all right? And it's pretty simple for him to see. He's like, oh, look, he's, he's got a weakness here, 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 and here because A, I haven't cleaned my house up. And I've still got things that I need to either repent for, um, change, and also seek forgiveness on. 
So all those things are really important before we go in. And this is just an overview. Debbie's definitely going to go into more insight. Um, and I want to say one more thing. Okay, here's, here's one example that I had. And never do this, by the way. But this person was feeling bold, which was not a good idea. Um, he was a brother in Christ. And, you know, he saw victory in these areas and it was awesome, you know, and he's driving. Now he's going over the speed limit. You know, he was actually breaking the law in that case, you know, even if it was a couple miles over. And he says this, is that all you've got, Satan? Okay. And what ended up happening, he gets pulled over. And the officer says, you were going 25 miles over the limit. And he's like, I wasn't going 25. The guy flew past me was going 20. The didn't matter. Okay. Now the, the, the chink in the armor was the fact that he was actually breaking the law by going over the speed limit, you know? And then, so the enemy's like, all right, you poke the bear. And, and because there was an avenue where him to get in because of sin, that's what happened. Okay. And he learned a lesson. He was in court trying to fight it. It was a lose-lose. Okay. So those are some of the things that you just don't want to do um, as far as that goes. But that's why it's a constant Lord you know, I want my heart to be pure. You know, I know you've washed me clean and all of that, you know, but the pure in heart, they see God. I want to be able to see you. I want to be able to know you. I want to have intimacy with you in order because of all that stuff. Then you're able to walk into the situation with compassion and love and love never fails. Okay, go ahead. So um, we've talked about healing. And what we have found oftentimes is that healing in itself, it's, it's spiritual warfare. Because if the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, a lot of times he does that through taking your health. And so what we saw in the scriptures as we were learning and studying this is very often, healing occurred when you cast out a demon. Cast out a demon, oh, now they're healed. Then as I began to walk in this, I began to experience that in my own life. As I was dealing with um, ailments or when I was dealing with um, issues with my health, I started casting that out. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have those issues anymore. They were gone. So that's when I kind of had learned just through my own experience that if it's got a name, it's probably a demonic entity, you know? So, um, you know, pneumonia's got a name. Well, then call it out. You know, spirit of pneumonia, be gone. You know, this is that kind of thing. And so when we're doing warfare, um, you, and I don't want to take away from what Adam said, a lot of times you can't take a look at it and say, oh, I see pneumonia, therefore it's a spirit of pneumonia. You, you know, oftentimes that's not the case. But... The point being in this is that a lot of times warfare really does um, come into play when you're looking at healing and vice versa. So um, I find it interesting that every single time Jesus defined the kingdom of heaven, he put them both in the same verse. You know, heal the sick, cast out demons. Heal the sick, cast out demons. And, you know, a lot of people find no fault with... Um, like healing the sick. And even though they're not seeing any victory in it, they, they'll now argue that we're supposed to pray for someone's healing. But if you talk to them about casting out a demon, the first thing they're going to throw at you is, oh, well, even the archangel Michael said, get, you know, get, you know, get the, you know, you went to Jesus, you know, and you know, Jesus, you know, you know, sent him to Jesus. He wouldn't even deal with them. Or that first Peter verse. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm not going to go after Satan if Michael the archangel wouldn't. Well, now you have to take a Bible verse and you have to believe half of it's true and half of it isn't, and you've got to divide it. And then you have to walk in that, and you've got to try to figure out how you're going to explain that to somebody, especially the Lord. So that's when we discovered that, you know, these go hand in hand. 
So as we're getting out of healing, we're going to go into spiritual warfare. So I just want to give you an overview, let you know the focus and the goal tonight, and then maybe you can kind of track. So spiritual warfare in a nutshell, you know, um, kind of like what I was sharing with Adam on the way here. You want to, we want to land the plane tonight. Let's just land the plane. What is warfare exactly? It's very simple. Warfare is just defeating the enemy in your life and living in victory. End of story. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? We were born again believers. We saw in the, um, the, the chart at the end of the chapter our position in the spirit realm, and it's above the demonic. So spiritual warfare is just living there in superiority over our enemy, not people. So the first thing we're going to do is we go through these verses you know, the first thing we're going to talk about is, you know, the first thing you do in spiritual warfare, you just want to clean your house. Think about it. If we've got uh, another nation that wants to attack the United States and we know, our government knows that we have sleeper cells of that nation in Oklahoma and in Texas and Alabama, what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to get rid of those sleeper cells before we go after the mother, the motherland. Because if we don't do that, then while we're going after the motherland, these little sleeper, sleeper cells are going to rise up and they're going to demolish us from, from behind. When we go into spiritual warfare and we haven't cleaned what's already residing in us, then as we're going into spiritual warfare, that which is within us is going to come along and defeat us because you cannot rule over that which rules over you. So you need to go into your own vessel, find out what's ruling over you, and you need to take dominion in your vessel. Get rid of these little sleeper cells. The next thing we're going to talk about, with um, that's the recognizing the sin. And we'll go into that more later. But that is the first eight questions. And the next thing we're going to talk about was after you recognize the sin, then you want to repent of it. Why? Because when you go to the Lord and you repent of that sin, then that's what kicks the enemy out of the land. That repentance, that's what's getting rid of those sleeper cells. That's how you get rid of them in the spirit realm. It's how easy it is. It's how easy this is. You find out what the enemy looks like in your vessel. Then you go to the Lord and you say, I'm sorry. The Lord gives you forgiveness. Now that enemy has no more power and control unless you choose to give it to him. Easy. So then the next, the next thing you do is just repent. So spiritual warfare really starts in your bedroom and your prayer chair. That's the beginning of it. You find out where you're, where you're, where, what's your sin, and God will tell you what you don't know. And we know the first 20 or 30 of them. And then you repent of it. Once you find out, you repent. It was like almost just like a two-in-one almost. Then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to renounce revoke. You can, in your notes, behind that, put cast out. Now, this is when you're actually like on the battlefield, and you're saying, okay, now this demon, you get out of my life. You get out of my life. You get out of this person, you know, you get out of the life. That's what you now, because you have repented, you've brought their power from a 10 out of a 10, you brought it down to a 2 out of 10, and that's when you kick them out. You don't go after them at the height of their power. You weaken them. That would be just like, you know, if you're going to war against another country, the first thing you're going to do, put sanctions against them, right? Get them weak. Then after they're weak, then you go after them. You don't go after them in the height of their power. So you renounce, you know, um... You, you repent, get them, get them down to uh, the, the very least of the amount of power, and then you revoke, you renounce, or you cast out. It's like you use your words, binding and loosing. We've talked about this, and we're going to bring it in. And then the final thing you do is you just replace it. 
So what happens when you have a defeated, think in the world, so Babylon came in and they defeated Israel, the northern kingdom. What did they do? Well, they brought in Babylon and they, they settled in the land. So what are you going to do? You're going to replace with words. You're going to replace the kingdom of darkness and his place in your life with the kingdom of life. We talked about you were going to replace death words with life words. You're not going to say, oh, I knew that would happen anymore. You're not going to say, well, I told them that they were going to blah, blah, blah. You're not going to say that anymore. Because you're going to bring in the new kingdom and resettle the land. So that's replacing life words, death words with life words, dark words with light words. You're going to replace the sin that you were walking in with the newfound sanctity that you have come to. So, and now you've just regained that territory and you've established a territory. So we're going to go ahead, let's go ahead and let's go through these verses. But in a nutshell, that's spiritual warfare. Then what happens when that's all done? The enemy's been identified. He's been kicked out. His land has been reestablished with the kingdom of light. There's no more room for him. If he tries to come back in, you just kick him out. But he's not very strong anymore. It's easy peasy if you know how to do it and if you do it. All right? And now you've won. Spiritual warfare, that's it in a nutshell. That's how easy it is. That's how hard it is. So um, let's just go ahead and get started then. And as we go through these verses, what you're going to just see as we go through here, the first thing we're going to talk about is identifying the enemy within our land. What's the sleeper cell going on in here? And, you know, what does God have to say about that? And what we're going to find as we go through here is a sleeper cell is the sin that comes from walking in disobedience. That's all that is. That's what these scriptures are telling us. So... Um, according to Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 2, what have we been told? What's, what's this scripture telling us? Remember, a lot of people think that the Old Testament is no longer applicable today, but we learn that as believers, the New Testament, the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, and we are in Christ. So the fulfillment of the Old Testament should be lived out and worked out in the life of a believer. Not in practice, but in principle. That's the physical picture of the spiritual truth. So just like you see the Israelites, they grabbed, you know, their swords and their spears and their shields, and they went to a very physical battle against Babylon. Well, Babylon is a spiritual picture of Satan. So as believers today, as we talk about our battle weapon, it's our words, it's our identity, it's our authority. Those are the weapons that we have. So, but we learn the truths regarding these things in the Old Testament, and that's why it has so much value for us today. It says um, these things are written before we're written for our learning. So um, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 2, what's that tell us? All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Okay. So verse, says, verse 2 says, and you shall remember. Okay. So we know that upon entering the land, the people were to be careful to do or to remember everything that God had told them to do. So this is a spiritual principle. We talked about this in the first chapter, rebuilding your walls. The wall of God, Shemar, it's the word of God. 
Shamar is to keep, Shamar is wall. So um, when you're not keeping the word of God, then your walls are broken down. We've brought this into this lesson in the New Testament with Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus says, when he commands you to go and do Shamar, keep Shamar, everything that he commanded. So that's why we know that when we're to remember to do in Deuteronomy 8, everything that God commanded, it comes right into the New Testament. We cannot forget to do, to keep everything that was commanded. So um, he goes on to say in verse 8 that if we do this, what's going to happen? Can you reread um, verse 1? Was that Lynn? Were you the one who read that? Yeah. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Mm -hmm. So when we walk in obedience and our lives experience true life, we live and we increase, we multiply. Mm -hmm. so, um, so we see here that all the commands that will be kept is all. And you know, we talk about that in the New Testament, that they define what all is. They came to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? What did Jesus say? He came to you. This what's the most important commandment? What did he say? Do does anyone know that? Love your neighbor, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbors. Mm -hmm. In these is all the commandments. Mm -hmm. There you go. Those two. He goes in these two commandments is all of the law and all the commands are in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, what do we know that if you love Him, you'll obey Him. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if your neighbor is suffering under the oppression of illness, sickness, and disease, and you're loving him as you would love yourself, you're going to walk in what Jesus said, and you are going to cast out and bring deliverance. It's so cool, too, because, like, he says, love, love God above all things. So he's like, love me, right? But then creation is made in whose image? His. Isn't that so cool? You know what I mean? So it's like, by loving people, we're loving him. So wait, we have to, it's about loving him. Okay, we're loving him, and then we love his creation. So we have to realize what image that people are made into, and we see their worth, but more importantly, too, what happens is we need to know what we're worth. What are we worth? Ben, um, heaven going bankrupt. So that means everybody on earth is worth heaven going bankrupt. So then we see people, and not as a burden, we see them how Christ sees them. And it's so cool, because once you're doing that, you're actually unlocking the kingdom right before your eyes, right before my eyes, right before, and then the Lord's the one that's doing it through you, and that, and the foundation is love. It will always be love. The foundation's love, the end is love. So, okay. So, good. Okay. So, um, that's question two, how to keep all the commandments, and um, so, if we choose to disobey, you know, it's more than just disappointing God, but it's, it brings our lives to ruin. Because to disobey means not to walk in victory and not to keep the mandate to rule over your domain. According to Deuteronomy 8.19, what are the consequences of not keeping these, demand, these commands? Someone have Deuteronomy 8.19. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Mm -hmm. So perish, if you look that word up, it doesn't mean to die. People are like, see, this doesn't apply to us today because we're not all dying, right? But that word perish actually means a fading away of strength, 
hope, wisdom, knowledge, and wealth, which is applicable today. So, um, I touched on this earlier. It's often said that the New Testament covenant of grace replaces the Old Testament law. But what did we learn with regards to this? So what did we learn in Luke 16, 17? So if heaven and earth is still here, then it's still applicable. And then Romans 3.31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Mm -hmm. So that word uphold is established. And if you look that word up in your biblical dictionaries, it means to bring to full fruition, to bring to full completion. To completely complete. That would be God's expectation of his believers regarding all the 690 laws of the Old Testament. That we will completely complete them to its fullest in our life. And we do that by loving God and loving our neighbor. So... As with Israel, our first battlefield is within the land. So that's what this is all about. You don't want to go to war against the enemy if he's encamped throughout your entire land. And by your land, it's your vessel. It's your life. If you, it's everything over which you have dominion. If you've got children, then that includes, you, are you taking dominion over your children? If you own a home, are you taking dominion over the land, over the house, over the structure? Okay? Um... So if you have a responsibility over anything, then that's, you know, it talks about enlarging your tent pegs and how you've got, um, you know, you've got authority and you are the covering. So um, that's what this lesson is all about. Our battlefield is within our land, okay? We come to faith in Christ, but our minds and our hearts are previously occupied territory. They're occupied by sin and Satan's lies before we got saved and they're still there. You got to kick them out. So often we do not clean out the land and then we allow these old habits and these old belief systems to remain. We saw that in the book of Judges. All right. And then that is what's going to take us out when we go and do spiritual warfare. So what's going on in the book of Judges? Well, if you go to Judges chapter 1, they were called to go in and to defeat the enemy. And they were to kill every man, woman, and child and to completely take over the land. So some people, just a little side note, they think that was awful, that God would want you to kill every man, woman, and child. But you need to remember that a lot of these nations, all of them in the land of Canaan, they were hybrids. They were half gibberim, half giant, half people, which means they were half fallen angel, half human. So these people groups that were, he was saying needed to be killed, man, woman, and child, these were people groups that were um, de demonic demonized they needed to be cleaned out so um it was um you know it was there was a reason behind that but what you see when the israelites went into the land is they didn't clean out the land you know what josephus says he says they became effeminate to fighting and god's people are effeminate to fighting today no one wants to pick up their shield and spear and go out and retake the land for god they're just too busy having fun so um, that's what was going on with the Israelites. So they, Judges chapter 1, they did not clear out the land. Because you know what they found? It could be very useful. 
They became hewers of stone, carriers of water, choppers of wood, and they served the Israelites. And you know what? At the end of chapter 1 of Judges, you know what it says? It says the enemies, these, these nations, they lived among the Israelites. That doesn't sound too bad. But if you go to the end of Judges chapter 3, what it says is that this enemy that they allowed to lay in the land, stay in the land, they rose up and became very numerous. And by the end of Judges chapter 3, the Israelites were living among the enemy. So the tables were turned. And that's what happens to us. We allow sin to remain in our camp because somehow or other it serves us. You know what happens in time? We become the servant and it takes over. And once it takes over, then it, it's a seek and destroy and a kill and destroy mission for the, for the enemy in our land. So we've got to completely annihilate and obliterate. There can be no enemy left behind. So that's what the, um, the judges is alluding to there. According to, um, so now these next couple of verses, this is just, we all are aware of a lot of the sins in our life that's going to take us out. These are just a couple that um, I found were issues of sin in the lives of, the, of many believers that they were unaware of. So I just brought them in here. Um, what do we see in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 13? What were the people warned against? If you've read through it, just what, what, was, the, what was this? Don't do divination, abomination, and witchcraft, sorcery. And that's all I wrote down. Okay. So basically, it's against, you know, the, the, the um, uh, admonition is not to operate in witchcraft. So we think, okay, well, we're not standing over a cauldron, you know, stirring potions. So we don't operate in witchcraft. But if you, again, you do a word set on witchcraft, it really means in definition, by definition, it means rebellion. Witchcraft. And we saw that as a second witness in um, 1 Samuel 15, 23, where it talks about witchcraft is as the sin of rebellion. Why? Because rebellion is you want to do, you want to get your own way. You don't submit because you want to do your own way. Well, what's witchcraft? I'm going to give them a love potion to make them fall in love with someone else because I want to be in charge of what they do. I want to be in control. So that's why witchcraft is warned against. If as a believer you're controlling, you're operating in witchcraft. So that was why this was brought in because that's something that gets missed and overlooked. And if that's an enemy in your camp and you're not recognizing him, then he's going to take you out and he's going to keep taking you out because you're not going to kick him out because you're staring right at him and he doesn't look like an enemy to you. Yeah, that was the biggest one, you know, for me was uh, control. Like, control is, and I was really good at manipulation, saying, like, saying things. To, now, this is prior to me being converted, you know, where I was wanting to be in control of the situation, and I would be able to get people on my side by speaking to them individually and then getting my way, to say the least. And um, what, what that was is that was just all manipulation. That was all control. That was all me trying to... Uh, get a certain outcome, um, and in essence, that was that's witchcraft, that's sorcery. And interestingly enough, that led to then anxiety because if I wasn't in control, then I was getting anxious, you know. And then I was getting, and if things were way off base, then I was getting depressed. And then so you had a ton of this this stuff that that was happening, and it was happening because of this this control that was in me that. I, I just wanted everything to work out my in my favor, in my way, you know? And so 
Um, and it's amazing how I, I was able to like read the room and say the right thing to each person to get them to fall in line with what I wanted. If that makes any sense. Um, you know, and, uh, it's just when what looking back at it, it's just like, um, it was literally the opposite of having God move. It was me, the flesh trying to accomplish something. Um, for my own kingdom that I was trying to build. So, does anyone else find witchcraft or sorcery to sound so evil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I got brought in. Yes, because it's it's a hidden thing. You think, oh, this isn't me, and if it is you, you're gonna fall prey to that enemy time and again because you're not gonna you're not gonna war against something you don't know exists. Yeah. Plus, so. when we think of witchcraft, we think like. You know, yeah, like Disney, Disney, like, you know, like, oh, they throw stuff in the cauldron and then they whip up this potion and then they give it to that person and then they have control over them. You know, it's the same scenario. Um, but, but it's like, it's not all of that stuff, you know, um, where you're, you know, getting human hair and burning it and that, that would smell horrible. But you know what I mean? But it's not that at all. Um, it, every, it, the, the root is control. And it, it goes in from a manipulation standpoint and so on and so forth. So, so some people call it Christian witchcraft. You know, it's born-again believers that are trying to control a situation. If you've ever been involved in a church, I'm sure you've run into that, you know. So um, a lot of people in the church trying to be in charge of something. Um, so that then, 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 oh, then you get angry when it, people don't listen. You see what I'm saying? Like when you, you, you've got this grandiose idea that, you know, may sound great on paper, but it wasn't from the Lord. And then when it doesn't happen, after you've tried talking to these numerous people, then you get upset at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. we've all done it. I've done it. I've been in charge of a lot of things, women's ministries and stuff. And so this was why this made such an impression on me when I learned, because I realized that this was really something in my life that needed to be addressed. I didn't know it. This can be on a smaller scale too, though, it sounds like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're not... Because you're in charge of something at church or whatever, it can be you try to control your kids or mm-hmm. you want them to be a certain way. That's mm-hmm. control. The yes. same thing, right? Yes, mm-hmm. and it's a doorway. Then Satan can come in and he goes after the kids because you brought in witchcraft. So, yeah, very good. Witchcraft, where it just gets yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one is sorcery. Um, and this is another, I mean, we all know, we can all like pinpoint a lot of, okay, I've got sin of like anger and rage and for unforgiveness. So that's a given. These are just some things were just kind of like hidden. I wanted just to bring them out as well. So just in the study, what do we see? What are we warned against in Galatians 5.19? And Adam just mentioned it. And then verse 20. Or was that 20? What's the sin? Adultery, fornication, unclean, lascivious idols, witchcraft, hatred, and heresies. Okay. So that witchcraft, again, in the, now this is a New Testament verse, and some translations will say sorcery. Regardless, witchcraft, sorcery, the, the original word in Greek is pharmakia. And uh, you can all tell what came from that word, pharmakia. Right? So we got our, our word for pharmacy. So this isn't warning against, you know, taking antibiotics, you know, or anything like this. This is like if you are taking drugs, 
like say marijuana, you know, LSD, if you are, you know, if you're, if you're vaping, all right, then this is something that is bringing the demonic right into your land and they're camping. And so the warning here is don't think that as a believer, you can be indulging in these things and walk away scot-free. You've just allowed the enemy in your camp and he's going to take you out. So I have a weird question. If you're in a state that is legal as marijuana, is that still going to happen? My question to you is are this. You breaking the law? Well, what kingdom are you a citizen of? And so which kingdom laws are you going to be submissive to? Right. And that's your answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And from personal experience, now that granted, not a believer, atheist, you know, when I did do some of that stuff, like I literally saw like demonic faces. Really? And it was just, it was just, it was weed. And I mean, and I literally, and my buddy, like, he's like, dude, did you, dude, it was, he was like freaking out, you know? And, and I remember the one kid's like, well, was this laced with anything? And he's like, the, the, the kid that we got it. And he's just like, no, it was just a really, he's like, it was just weed. But I mean, but that's what happened. So then what did I let in because of that action? You know, so, but yet again, I oblivious, you know, and then I, I got sold the, you only live once or try everything type of scenario. It's like, oh, you just got to try it once. And then you don't have to, horrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like horrible. Um, anyways, with that being said though, now it came down to a, a repentance aspect when I did, did become a Christian and then it was more of, okay, Lord, like what happened there? And then it starts making sense. You know, it's a way to let the enemy in. You know, even though it's legal in other states, it's, you're still, it's not. Now, I had one person say, um, what was it? It was, I think it was Genesis. I, I give you seed, what was it? Every, every seed and plant I give to you. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, that, yeah. someone quoted me that scripture when I was a beginning Christian, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's okay, you know? Like, but. Um, yeah, definitely not. So well, you want to roll around in poison ivy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I like that. <laughs> That's good. That's you funny. Say what you were involved with. How did you? You saw a demon uh, demonic. Yeah. You were involved in what? Some kind of drug. It was weed. He was smoking. Just marijuana. weed, like you know what I mean. And it, it was, and I just, and I remember oh. doing it, and it was in, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of college, you know, and I mean, I didn't do it for that long of time. I mean, it was only like three months and I'm like, this is, this is horrible, but I still had that inclination where I wanted to do it again, which there was that addiction that got keyed in, you know, because it was your, I was trying to escape the reality that I was in or enhance it, however you want to interpret that. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, is like, I, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I was looking for a way to get out when really I wanted to get into the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to get into this, into Jesus, into love, because he's the one that's going to set me free from all the other stuff I was dealing with. Remember, I was depressed. I was anxious. I was angry. I, I mean, I was a ton of things, you know, so, and, um, I mean, I even did, uh, what it was, 1AD. 1AD was, uh, it was like a steroid back, and I mean, and this was, and I mean, I started like ripping through weights like crazy. But I was snap. I would snap. You know what I mean? Like I, I was getting so angry. I had such a quick fuse.
because it changed all the chemistry in me. And I like, I like, it was, it, and then you mix it with all the stuff that goes on in, in the course of college and during night, during a night, you know, I mean, it was, it was bad, you know? So, but yet again, it's like, I was just so lost, you know? And, and there I'm trying to find myself in all these different things. And it's like, uh, who was it? It was Solomon who had everything. It was all vanity. So. So when you came to the Lord, did you have a deliverance soon after, or was that a time period? I, I was pretty, it was pretty instant for a lot of things. Um, and then there were some things that I still had, like there was a spirit of addiction in me that needed to get coughed out, literally coughed out. I felt it come out. It was in my right arm, and I actually felt it move. It's crazy. You know what I mean? But, but I didn't know anything about this until someone... I saw a, a sermon on it by, like, a Derek Prince. And he said something, like, along those lines, you know. It was actually, there was a spirit of sleep, too. Uh-huh. Uh, and I know I don't want to go too far off track, but spirit of sleep. Would have never thought about this one, right? Um, and I may have shared this with everybody, but it was, I open up my Bible, and I fall asleep. I, I just got done wake. I literally took, I didn't have anything in the summer. I didn't have school. I, I just had the summer off, and I was asleep for like 10 hours wake up in the morning at like nine o'clock and then open my bible up and fall asleep but when the tv's on i'm wide awake listening to the tv and i remember Derek prince saying something like well he's like don't you find that strange that you can stay in front of the tv and get fed the world for five hours six hours but when you open your bible you fall asleep instantly what if it was a demon asleep so i said okay in Jesus' name, spirit of sleep, leave. And the next thing you know, I wake up, open my Bible, and I'm up for six hours reading the Bible. But it's stuff you don't know. I mean, how weird is that? Like, to me, like, if I'm, that's just like how I was oblivious to the war that was going on. Um, and it was something that was so simple, you know. So, yeah. I just have something from the pharmacia with my dad. I don't know if that's something that you can explain as an example that the poor guy was innocent. <laughs> well, in, like I said at first, I don't think, you know, when it comes to like the medications that you're getting like in the hospitals and through the doctors, I don't think this is really talking about that so much. So obviously, yes, it's been used um, by the enemy to bring about, you know, a bad outcome, you know, like, um, you know, with the overdosing of all of the depressants and different things. So... Um, this would just be like, and I, you've been doing it. You just kind of go to prayer against it then. You war against that specifically. So, but in this case, um, I, you know, with, in this particular verse, I just, I do want to make sure that I'm not getting misunderstood because a lot of people are using the medications from their doctors and that's a good thing. You know, God gave us medical minds, gave us men with medical minds. And, um, you know, the point is not to go to them in you know, putting your faith in the medicine um, put your faith in, in God, but if he's offering this as part, just like Paul told Timothy to drink wine, you know, it wasn't the wine that was going to cure Timothy. It was his faith, but he would still take that. So, you know, with your dad, it was an abuse. They took something that was good and they abused it. And now in your, um, you know, in your prayer, then that's, that's kind of inside intel, and that's how you pray, you know, with regards to that. So... But, um, you know, back to, um, you know, the beginning of this point in the book. So if you aren't going to walk in obedience, you will surely perish quickly from the land. 
And so what are some of the things? We go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so as we go through this, just basically no sickness. If you see Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 21 to 27, you see pestilence is coming upon them. You'll see um, scab, itch, boils, tumors. So all of this we can identify. This is what God is saying. This when you are perishing, and um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight is a listing of all the curses for disobedience, and Deuteronomy twenty-nine is all the blessings for obedience. So what we just I'm trying to show um, in these scripture verses, and what Adam and I were trying to bring into the study together was that these consequences are applicable today. That's why you just can't. Um, turn your back on the Old Testament and say, well, that was another day for another people. Um, it's definitely still um, seen today. We see the sickness, oppression, verses 25 29, through 29, 31 through 48. And um, it talks about, in verse 25, um, it says, you'll be a terror to all living things. You know how many people have night terrors? All right, they have terrors. And then um, we see in 31 through 48, um, it talks about um, you shall um, plant things and not eat them. Um, I'm trying to think here. Usually, um, okay. Oppression we see here in 34. You'll be driven mad. All right. We see in verse 20, confusion. So these are all like a mental disorder that you have going on confusion like I like I said you know I've said this before I'm an RN and every day before you take your team you get report I'm kidding you not every patient I have ever had everywhere they've got anxiety and depression I just abbreviated A and D in my notes they've got A and D anxiety and depression everybody's got it this you know this this um, anxiety confusion depression terror all these things and as you go through these scripture verses 25 through 29 31 through 48 you, and you're looking with eyes to see, you're going to see that these are mental and emotional oppressions that hit God's people. Why? Because they're housing these demons in their vessel. Right? So um, then we see financial insufficiency, verses 31, 30 to 31, 38 to 40, and 44. You'll be the head and not the tail. You will plant and someone else will gather. You know, you will harvest, but someone else will eat it. Okay? Curse will be your kneading bowl. So you're seeing in these scriptures that I've highlighted here, there's going to be a financial insufficiency. Right? So, you know, and a lot of times what happens when a demonic entity comes in and they bring illness, sickness, and disease? Well, now you've got a $200,000 medical bill. There is your financial insufficiency. And that's what I have found a lot of times. That's why you just can't assume what you're looking at is what you're seeing. Sometimes you're looking at someone who's walking through an illness, but really the spirit that's behind it is a spirit of poverty. And they're using medical bills to bring poverty to the family. That's why he's got to go to the Lord and ask him. So then you're going to cast out a demon of sickness. And he's like, ha, 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 you got it wrong. That's not me, so I can stay. So and we'll talk more about that. But the point to that is, again, that's how they operate, subterfuge. They never present themselves as who they are. It's a spirit of masquerade. They present themselves as someone they're not. Or they say themselves hidden. You can't see them at all. So you go to the Holy Spirit and you say, what's going on here? And he'll tell you. So breakdown of family relationships, verse 30, 32, and 41. Um, it says here, um, 
30, 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. All right, that's 32. Um, you shall be betrothed to a wife, but another man will violate her. All right, you'll plant a vineyard, but you shall not use its fruit. That can be a colloquialism for a wife. Um, so what we're seeing here, and then in verse 41, it talks about, you shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, but they shall go into captivity. So we're seeing here that um, we've got a breakdown of family relationships, divorce, captivity, sons being given, sons and daughters being given perhaps to, you know, another <coughs> religious system. You know, I knew someone who, um, whose daughter was abducted and taken into the Hindu. And now that was like the, what is it, Dalai Lama out in Oregon. And she just became completely estranged from the family and her life was completely destroyed. So she was sold into slavery. She was sold into captivity to another religious system. So, and then um, breakdown of family relationships. And we see that in Matthew 2, the mother against the father, the mother against the daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. So these are things that can be addressed and restored. Just need to know that this is all part of this war that we're in. So, and then uh, mental and emotional strife. Again, we've talked about that. That goes along with the oppression, the terror, the anxiety, the fear, the confusion. Those are all in those scripture verses 20, 28, and 65. So um, these are just identifying and so that one, I want brings me to a, another point. <clears throat> Many times, what you're going to find is that as believers, we're in this war. We don't even are aware of it. But many times as believers, we're living a very, very nice life. We're living a very good life. Or we're under destruction, but we've mislabeled it. Oh, this is God's plan for me. This is God's destiny for me. Well, maybe it's a counterfeit destiny. Satan gives a counterfeit everything. He gives counterfeit destinies. Did you get a counterfeit destiny from Satan and grab it and say, oh, this is from the Lord, and you walk down the wrong destiny? So if you have people in your lives, or if you're someone, and you're living a life that is really pretty good, and you're not recognizing that the war that you're in, then you know, for the most part, what I find with you know, this kind of a situation is that and these believers, they're not really desirous of warring and they're not motivated to war because in their minds, they're not really in one. So in, in that, but in what it is, yes, they're in a war. And yes, they're under destruction, but they don't, they're not seeing it and they're not recognizing it. They're mislabeling it and they're misdefining it and they're putting holy in the Lord, God's plan or God's will over something that's from Satan and it's a counterfeit, but they've labeled it wrong. In their mind, they're not at war. Their life is pretty good. When you can't convince someone like this to pick up their sword and their spear and go after the enemy, they, they've got no motivation to war. The people that you'll find mostly are those involved with warfare or those who are being taken out and they're tired of it. They're done. So now they're starting to recognize it. And once they recognize and they see it, get out of their way. They're, you know, they're loaded for bear and they're going after it and they're not going to quit until it's done. <clears throat> those are the kinds of people that when you talk to, you're going to see them responding to the whole idea of spiritual warfare. If you're talking to a believer whose life's pretty good and they're not recognizing the war they're in, they're not going to pick up shield and spear. So um, that's why we go through these verses in number six, because it helps us to identify that, yeah, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, I'm in a battle and my backside's burning and it isn't from the Lord and it isn't his plan for me so that I can glorify him in my pain. So that's what these scriptures are 
identifying. So that we need to understand that there are commands from the Lord. If we walk in disobedience, there's a consequence that has not been left into the Old Testament time epoch. And in 7, according to the following verses, what does these verses tell us about? Are we exempt from this? Because you're going to have people say, listen, Satan can't touch me because I'm in Jesus. You know, I'm a believer, so Satan can't touch me. You know, or because I'm a believer, God loves me. I'm not under judgment. Unbelievers are under judgment. Believers are not under judgment. I'm not under judgment. I don't have to worry about God. Yes, he gives grace, and yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, you know, you're going to hear these things. And if you're under this belief system, then you're not going to be too concerned about the sin that's in your camp that's escorting in the demonic that's taking you out. You're going to be of the mindset, oh, that can't be true. It's got to be something else. Or it's the whole, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has won the victory. I don't have to. You know what I mean? That type of scenario. Like, oh, he's done it all for me. Um, and yet again, that, that can that could lead to, although there are, there's truth to what that the person's saying, but it's just like, but he still commands us to heal the sick and cast out like devils. So that's still a command. So, to, and to have, so, oh, we don't need to do that anymore. That was back then. Or the same scenario that it said, it's just like, so... The, the, the choice then is to have someone else do it. Oh, that's only for this person, this type of person. Or oh, that's only for like a pastor. The elders. You know, or the elders, you know. And mm-hmm. it's just like, no, we all have a responsibility in this because we are here for the sole purpose to reveal Jesus to the world. That revealing Jesus reveals the freedom, reveals the joy, reveals the love that God has for each and every one of us on this earth. And that's what we're called to do, to be a living representation of who God is that's what we're here to do, you know, and, and so that's why when we come into a situation and that there, I know this could be kind of like heavy right now, but it becomes simpler because all that is, is it's, t- it's pointing out what the enemy's tactics are and what, what happens when we, there is a walking in disobedience and we're like, okay, Lord, you just go to him and you're like, Lord, I love you. Father, teach me to walk like you. Teach me, teach me and examine my heart for things that I still have in me that need to get purged, that need to get rid of, you know, and then he's just going to walk you through past things in your life. He'll walk you through things that you have to repent of. He'll walk you through those things that are going to help heal your heart. And then you're able now to be more full of him. Does that make sense? You know, that's really all it is. And it's a, it's a process and it's a continual process for that matter where it's like, okay, I, I know Lord that, that you know you are for me you are not against me and i know lord that you are here to bring life and life in abundance and i'm not seeing life in these areas of my life so please lord show me why or show me how for life to flow in those areas does that make sense mm-hmm. it's something as simple as that um that can really help expose the what the enemy's doing or what has been done um, uh, whether it be an oppression, whether it be some type of, I don't think we've touched on generational curses or anything like that, you know, some type of um, thing that's in our life that needs to just get gone, just need to get rid of. We don't even know we're doing it half the time, you know, and, and or we believe that we're, that's who we are. Oh, that's like, I have the one guy who's like, well, God made me impatient. So he's going to take my impatience and we're going to charge through, you know, and it's like, what? That doesn't, that's the opposite of what like you should be doing. Like he's like, no, you weren't born with being. You may have been born being impatient, but the Lord 
you were born again and you were born with patience. You know, um, it's the same thing with uh, oh, I was born this way. Uh, as far as you know, being being attracted to the same sex. Oh, well, I'm just born this way. It's like yeah, but you could be born again. Would you like to? You know, um, and because those desires were pre those when the person was fallen. When the person is not fallen and is born again, I've seen someone completely change and their attractions have changed back to what they were originally created for. So, yes? So, what if you see like addictions in your extended family and do we have authority to pull down strongholds in siblings or things like that? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, and I look at it too, though, they may not want to be free from it. That's the first step. Are they, do they want to be free from those addictions? You know, like I've had someone like the, the kid smoked tons of weed and he's like, well, I don't, even though the doctor said, if you smoke anymore, your health is declining. This is like eight years, 10 years ago. And he's like, well, I'm still going to keep doing it because I like it. You know, versus someone who, now I'd still pray for him and I'd pray for addiction to leave and, and desires to change. You know, but I look at those, those, it's those people that really want to be free from it. Those are the big ones where you like, you, you really go after it. It's like, okay, spirit of addiction, I command you to leave now in Jesus name, you know, and you keep, and you keep at it. It's a tug of war. The enemy doesn't stop tugging. So you got to keep going. You got to keep tugging. You got to keep um, going on. What, what's your answer to that one? Yeah. Yes. I find that I get the most victory over that over which I have been given dominion. So if God is, and I go to the Lord all the time, and I just ask, can you please just enlarge my tent pegs? Just give me a greater dominion. So that my voice has, my, my voice trumps. But at the end of the day, each person has the most authority over themselves. Each father has the most authority over the family. The, the mother has authority, and if the father is falling down in that the mom can stand up and she can take authority god's not looking for a man or a woman he's looking for a child of god who's going to step up and do his will and whoever's going to step up and do his will that's who he's going to give his authority to to accomplish his will that that's kind of like a hierarchy right so now if you start talking about extended family um, another thing is too like over your parents like i had very limited I felt authority to come in and do a change anything over my parent. Um, so again, because of the hierarchy being, you know, the, you know, children don't oftentimes have authority over the parent. Now in the spirit realm, you know, you do have authority over the demonic always at all times, wherever they're found. But when you're dealing with other people, you can't operate in witchcraft. If this other person is housing the demonic and they don't want to kick them out, well, then, the, then you can go and pray against that demonic and you can bind them up, but you may not be able to kick them out. Because maybe the kicking out is going to be something that person themselves need to decide that they want done in their vessel. So it gets kind of, we can go more yeah. into that later. So, but your point is well taken. And, and, um, and yes, there is you know, there's a hierarchy. And that's why you've got to be careful not to just presume that warfare is an uh, not for today or it's not for the believer because if you're walking in it, you're not seeing victory. Um, 
we are called to walk in it. We're called to see victory, but there's more than one issue at play. Yeah. And that's, you know, so then those are good questions. And, and keep in mind, it's a case-by-case situation. Like, sometimes it'll be really simple, easy-peasy. Other times it's a little bit more complicated because how the enemies establish the root system, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's why, okay, Lord, help. You know what I mean? Like, help. And sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a slow process of, you know, you kick out X amount, but then there's still other ones. And then you kick out, a, you know what I mean? And we've, we've seen stages of freedom. We've seen instantaneous freedom. And it, it's all, it's that, it's that combination too, you know, where I've seen people just get victory just by understanding who they are in Jesus. I've had people get victory by just, Lord, I just, I'm sorry. Just the repentance and the forgiveness has freed people up and has also healed people. You know, and it's the same. I've seen people get healed by just taking communion and understanding what the communion actually really means. You know, so it's like there's so many different avenues, and that's why our dependence has to be on Jesus. Um, we can't be we can't be eating from the tree of independence. You know, we have to be eating from the tree of life and dependence and dependence on Him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know for me, I, I it was a, a parental. My actually it was my mom, um, and I usually don't like to use names or anything like that. But it was as simple as, you know, she had a, a really bad root canal going on, a lot of pain. And, and I said, well, hey, Dad, just pray for her. And, and because he's over, like, he's like, you know what I mean? It's like different. It's a different authority. It's a different, like, it's like power, you'd say, because they're one. You know, there's a different, deeper connection. And he's just like, in Jesus' name, all pain leave and root canal be healed, you know. And, well, she's like, and my mom's like, oh, I'm like, well, how do you feel? She's like, I feel good, you know. All the pain went away. Like, but she like did so nonchalant, like, oh, yeah, the pain left. It's good. Like, but the pain, like, you know what I mean? Now, she still had, she still ended up getting the root canal, but it was the fact that there was victory in the fact that she didn't have to have pain the next day or two leading up to it. Um, and that was done by my father, who really was a baby in Jesus and didn't have a clue what, you know, we're talking about right now, you know, from an in-depth standpoint. But he was just obedient. Because that can get kind of complex. So, but the, but if we if we just start like with the basics and get solved in the basics, then as it gets more complex, you just kind of like you can weave it into your understanding. Yeah. So those are good questions. But um, so seven, according back to lesson, according to the following verses, are God's people exempt from the consequences of disobedience? This this is the importance for you. This is because it shows us that if you think that. Um, you're exempt from this, then you're not going to worry about it. But if you're understanding the truth of these verses, well, now you qualify to be the recipient of some of these things, and now it's a game changer. So we see in Hosea 4.6, um, God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Who's, who's destroyed? The heathen? The gibberim? No. God's people. And God is saying this. My people. For lack of knowledge. Um, Hosea 4.14. So the people without understanding are ruined. You should do word studies. I'm ruined. And this is God's talking about his people. Well, what's the problem? No knowledge. No understanding. Um, my people always err in their hearts because they do not know my ways. That's Hebrews. So this, is, this, this bridges the whole scripture. Amos 9.10, all sinners of my people will die. No. So um, it says, you know, die by the sword. Pestilence, plague. First uh, Peter four seventeen. It is time for judgment to begin, and where does it begin? It begins in the household of God, right? If you go to the book of Revelation, where does the smoke come out of? The smoke comes out of the doors of the temple, 
Okay, the judgment, the, the temple gets cleaned first. And we're the temple of the God. And this is where the cleaning is going to begin. Hebrews 10.30, the Lord will judge his people. So these are scripture verses that aren't often brought up. If we understand that the truth of these exists in our lives, now all of a sudden we qualify. That's a game changer. So not only are God's people not exempt, but the judgment against sin will start with them. It's even worse than you think. So, but you know, the judgment for God's people, it serves a purpose. The judgment brings a refinement, a purifying, a purging. Oftentimes, the judgment is what's going to bring you to your knees, which is the ultimate mercy of God, because that's the place where repentance will start. That is the doorway to your salvation. Right. Salvation, freedom from the molestation of your enemy. It can also mean going to heaven, if it's, you know, for those who obey him, he becomes a source of eternal salvation. It also can be, um, you know, your eternal your eternal reward. But so in that sense, Debbie, um, the onset of, a, of an illness or a disease or whatever really could be the will of God, the gift of God, um, in that it can be a tool to bring us to repentance. Is that not correct? It would be... Not that he wants us to stay there. Right. Mm, There's yeah, a difference. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, God allowed judgment on his people and you know, disease and whatever to come on people to bring them to, to um, a right knowledge. Right, but keep in mind that every time that happened, they were in gross sin. Right, right. And so well, that you would... Yeah, that's what he was saying, yeah. But, but I'm saying, right. the, the illness or disease is sometimes just a, uh, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. Like, mm -hmm. like you do to your child sometimes, mm -hmm. letting the consequence come upon them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess, I don't know, you talked about that, you know, some people, and, and maybe you're talking about people who want to stay in their state of illness mm -hmm. because it's God's will. But sometimes it would be the will of God that something come upon you to change your heart, to call out your area of need and repentance. Mm -hmm. Yes, but and also to kind of springboard off of that, when that is the case, the people don't die. Yeah. You know, Job didn't die, and Paul didn't die, right? So, um, yes, and, and, that's, and that's the other part, too, um, that if you've got someone who is, or, it's, it's, or they, they never get cured, you know, it just continues to get more and more advanced. And in the scripture where God is bringing this to the people and it brought about that repentance and with that came the restoration. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't say like the will of God, but it's, it's part of if you keep walking in disobedience, this is what's going to happen. Although God's like, I don't want it to happen, I don't want it to happen, but you're outside my gates of protection. So that's what's going to happen. That's the result of disobedience. And then once they get hit, then all of a sudden they wake up and then they realize how far they are from the gates. Like, oh, man. And then now they, they realize because of what happens to them that they turn and they start walking back. You know, I know that when I tore my ACL in college the second time in the other knee, um, I really felt it was the Lord. I really was like, because I was walking in such a disobedient way, he took my leg away. He, or the enemy took me out because of my lack of disobedience. And then that's when I, I started really kind of changing kind of my mindset and my walk because I knew I, I knew something was off. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. No, that's a good, that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's very encouraging too to recognize that the hand of God can be involved and that there is a, an outcome 
that you know is to be desired. So. So you're not saying that God is sending it. He's just letting it happen because of our disobedience, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what I always believe. God doesn't send sickness and disease. He doesn't put that on us. It's that we've opened the door to us because of our sin, and he's let it come in, and he can use it, but he's never sent it or put it on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. never his plan. It's like, you know, unfortunately, it's never his plan. He never wants that to happen. He wants you to walk in obedience. But when you stop walking in obedience, it's like, there's a hot stove there. Don't touch the hot stove. And then the child doesn't listen and touches the hot stove. And it's like, and they get burned. But, and then they realize, you know, why it is. So. That's good. Right. So, you know, again, that's what, um, the point to all of this is to recognize that these things are in your life, that there are, you know, Nine times out of ten, the reason is because there are things that you're allowing that you can put a stop to and then you can change it and make it better. So that's always the encouraging thing is that if I always loved it, I always said, Lord, if it's my fault that this happened, thank you. Because if I'm the one who caused it now, then I can fix it. You know, but if someone else is doing this to me and I can't really control what's going on over here, then that's so I always kind of like the idea myself that, hey, if this is something that you can place at my feet then this is something that I can take care of. So that's kind of an encouraging thing too. So, and what we're seeing here with all of this is that these are some precipitating factors that might be in play if we're experiencing defeat or we're experiencing warfare. So um, what do the following verses reveal concerning repentance? So what do we see in Hosea 5.15 and Hosea 6.1? Did anyone get those answers? Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. That's what I wrote down. That's not the whole verse here. Okay, earnestly seek him. Good. And then um, Hosea 6.1. Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, torn us, mm-hmm. that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... In a nutshell, repentance fixes everything. Easy peasy. You know, it doesn't matter how bad, or how negligent, for how long. You just one time, just go to the feet of Jesus and say, I am so sorry. It's done. It's washed away. It's super easy. So um, with repentance comes restoration. And so that, that's step number, you know, um, that's step number two in spiritual warfare. You just repent. Okay. Um, so the first step is you just recognize your sin. The second step is you repent of it. And so now, once you repent, the enemy in your land, he's starting to lose his power. Um, he doesn't have legal right to be there anymore. So what do you learn from these following verses regarding revoking or renouncing our curses? So what are these scriptures telling us about any kind of a curse that we're living under? Um, and if you guys could just kind of, everyone just kind of grab one, we'll go through, and then whoever can read it out loud. Um, we have like 12 of them. So whoever's willing to read, if you could just grab one. Whoever gets Colossians, just do all three of the, all four of the Colossians verses. Because we'll be there. Whoever has Matthew, if you want to grab all the Matthew verses, 10, 28. Okay. 
For he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Thanks for coming, guys. Okay, so Jesus appeared for what reason? To destroy the works of the devil. Okay. So we know that that's why he came. As he is, so are we in this world. What do we see in Hebrews 2.14? He himself became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Good. Good. So he destroyed. He destroyed the one who's got the power of death. And we know that death doesn't mean you cease to exist. It means you move to a worse state. So, Romans 16, 20. The God's peace will soon push <clears throat> Satan under your feet. Mm-hmm. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Okay. So Satan is to be crushed under our feet. Who's got Colossians 1, 12, 13, 2, 14, and 15? Okay, so we are qualified to share in our inheritance of light, and we are no longer under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness, but we're brought into the kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of heaven. Okay, Laurel, do you have 2, 14, and 15 as well? I do. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away So we see he's canceled out our debt and all the decrees that have been spoken against us. Okay, and he's disarmed the rulers and the principalities who are at war with us. Matthew 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and keep them. So we can see there that if the healing of the diseases and affliction is linked with casting out demons. Then who's got... 9-1 is the same. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And then 10-19, which I get really intrigued by 10.19. Um, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So can I make an observation that I just got even right now? So Romans 16.20 up a few verses from where we just read. So the God of peace will bruise Satan under our feet. And we think of 
um, the armor of God shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then to tread on serpents and scorpions under your feet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Luke ten nineteen, yeah. you know, crunching with scorpions under our feet mm -hmm. with the gospel, the gospel of the preparation of peace mm -hmm. that we also get to tread Satan under our feet. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. cool. Good. And so I looked up scorpions because I'm like, God, how does scorpions, you know, and it means like to dig or a poisonous sting. So it also has connection to the word skeptical, which I, I'm still wrestling with that a little bit. Scorpions, scorpos, skeptical. Um, but I just like to think of, you know, crunching what digs and what's a poison arrow at us, that we get to step on it with our boots, the mm -hmm. boots of the gospel of peace. Yeah. And um, part of that sting would be um, manifested in being skeptical that this is something that you should be doing. That keeps the scorpion from being trampled on. If he can make you skeptical, oh, you're not really supposed to be trampling on me. Oh, good. They walked away. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Do you see that as literal, or do you see that as figurative language about spiritual warfare? I, it's, a, it's a spiritual truth. Mm -hmm. More so than it's a great idea to go step on the scorpions. <laughs> the scorpions yeah. <laughs> However, you can drink deadly poison, and of course, they won't harm you. But you may not want to step on a scorpion. Well, I mean, as believers, yes, we can, you know, tap into this power supernaturally. But you know. We got to be careful too about putting the Lord to the test, right. you know, and, and doing things that are just unwise. We talked about going and what is that year earlier? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But I think from a spiritual standpoint, that's absolutely true, and it's and it's just as dangerous or more so if we're not prepared, like she said, with with the, the proper footwear. Mm -hmm. yeah. We don't have our our uh, spiritual armor on. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, and think of it from a physical, not, we're not looking for a fight. It's not like you're playing with a scorpion or a snake for that matter. And, um, but when you look at how Paul reacted to himself getting bit by a poisonous serpent, what, what was he? Peaceful. You know what I mean? Like, he was at peace. He was at rest. He was like, okay. All right, shook it off, put it in the fire, you know? And it's just like, and that's how he reacted. Because he was reacting not from how a world would react, but he was reacting how... A child of God would react in the situation. Um, yeah, and you also have to know Paul's orders. Paul was ordered to go to Rome. You know, he knew his mission. So he's like, regardless what's happened, I'm going to go to Rome. Why? Because God said so. No. Good. Okay, and then Matthew 28, 19. This has kind of just been the pivotal verse that every, it's been brought up every lesson. Go ye therefore among all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word observe, shamar, to keep, to watch, to guard, to attend to, to watch carefully over. Um, all. And what did he command? He commanded to bring in the kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom of God. So, and then did someone grab Revelation 12, 11? What's this tell us? So they overcome by two things. It's not just the blood of the lamb. Surely 
the blood of the lamb could have been enough, but that's not how God ordained it. The blood of the lamb, they overcome. We, we overcome not just by the blood of the lamb, but by two things. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So, you know, we just really want to um, walk in a manner that's victorious so that that becomes a part of the equation for overcoming. So, very important. Can you comment at all on the second half of that verse? That really struck me. They did not love their lives so much as to break from death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know what? What you know, and it kind of goes along with the other scripture verse: "Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his his saints." What God is looking for is His people who are willing to completely die to self. You know, it's kind of like what Adam was talking about earlier with that whole witchcraft thing. You know, it's it's you're so working towards serving yourself that all these things come behind. And God's looking for someone who's just, you're, you just completely died to yourself. And you've, you've undergone spiritual death. You know, some of our eyes live at Christ who lives in me. Um, and so um, we see, you know, kind of woven throughout the New Testament, that whole idea of, of dying to self. And so um, you are a new creation. The old one has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. So that's what he's looking for. Part of the overcoming. And you've just got to get to this place in your own walk where you go before the Lord and you're like, I am willing to give it all up. I am just, I'm willing just to die. You know, and, and you just die to self, and you die. And that's why John the Baptist was picturing being beheaded. You know, Christ is the head. He was a forerunner for us. Those who want to walk in the John the Baptist ministry of, you know, bringing in the people and bringing them to a place where they can walk in the newness of a relationship with Christ and walk into the completeness of the gospel of the kingdom. We have to have our head cut off because Jesus is the head and we're the body. And the body does whatever the head says. And if there's another head on our shoulders that's not Jesus, we're going to be doing the wrong thing. So we want to follow his example. And we don't want to be numbered among those in the church who's a talking head. Only Jesus is the head. So that whole not loving your life unto death is that you're willing to be poured out you're willing to be totally crushed and you're willing for your life to be as nothing in exchange for what Jesus is going to do with it and through it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if you're not willing to do that, then whatever part of you that you've left alive, that's where Satan's going to get you. Mm -hmm. So the safest thing you can be is dead. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Has anyone ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? Okay, yeah. I didn't read it. I saw the DVD though of it. So, um, anyways, they had it where the biggest adversary was self. Like he fought it in the desert was self. You know, and it was once you overcome self, because it's not about you. And you hear Peach say, "It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's all about him." So you you don't really have a say in the matter, which Debbie says often. You know, so you don't have a say in the matter. It's just about doing the will of the Lord, and that's all it is. It's not your will. But it's God's will, just like Jesus in the, the garden. Not my will, Lord, but let yours be done. Once we reach a point of humility, um, then he can work with that. You know, but it's just like a dead corpse can't be offended. You know, it's like, how dare they say that about me? Who cares? You know, you, you should have no reaction because you're dead. 
So it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter how people react to you. It doesn't matter that because it's like I'm, the sole purpose is to do the will of the Lord. And if the will of the Lord is to go over here or do this or do that, then you just stay obedient to that. And then all you, and you just block out all of the other things that are being said. And, and that's the whole like kind of death to self scenario because it's never been about, it's not about you. So, and honestly, like I, cause I, by moving into the middle school, I started making it about me. It took me about four years to start making it about me. And I'm, I was in a dark place for a while, just getting out of it, literally just getting out of it, you know, where I'm just like, and because I started making it about me and that was the worst thing. So mm-hmm. that, or I felt entitled. I've been doing all this and I deserve a dead corpse doesn't deserve anything, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I really don't. And then you start seeing, then you're finally at peace with the situation you're in. And you start being at peace with what the Lord's already provided for you. And it's like, oh, okay. Thank you, Lord. You know, how quickly I made it about me. And, oh, I'm not getting recognized enough. Look at all the stuff I've been doing. How, oh, come on. No one, I don't, I can't even get, I can't even get an iPad that the administration wants to give me after doing all this work for them. They can't even give me an iPad? How dare they? Yikes. <laughs> Welcome to It's All About App. You know? Um, and yeah, and I've been struggling with it for probably a couple of years now. Um, so anyways. So when does it become warfare where you say, Lord, release that iPad to me in Jesus' name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we tried that. And when it doesn't work, then you know. Then you know. It's like the Lord's like, uh, Adam, no. That's not it. Yeah. We did so, try that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought it was spiritual warfare by getting sent down to the high school. And then the Lord, after three years, said, Adam, what if I was the one to set you down? Mm-hmm. So there I am, fighting for three years. In Jesus' name, I bind up the devil. And, 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 and then he's like, Adam, what if I set you down because it was about you? Okay. You know what I mean? So it, it's just like, and that's the time, too, where I look at it as it's the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego scenario where... Uh, God never removed the fire, whether I believe that middle school is the fire, which I think it is. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but he never removed it. But the thing that was binding Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that's the only thing that got burned off in the fire. So the very thing that bound them got burned off in the fire. Nothing else was touched. And that's really what's been happening to me, I'm finding out. It's been a long time. You know, it's taken me a long time to learn, and God's probably thinking, okay, it's about time now. You're finally getting out of this state, you know, because really what was happening was I was comparing my, my life to high school, and comparison is the killer of all joy. So, yeah. Now I'm at peace. It's crazy. Like, literally, it was night and day. It was literally all of a sudden, one day I woke up, and it was like, oh, you know, my job's actually pretty sweet. I got a pretty cool gig here. And then I look back at how I've been, how dark in my opinion I've been um, in the last like two or two years three years because I started getting this concept of I deserve something so mm-hmm. like, um, like you guys were saying the, the self the curses by the flesh demonic has a foothold and everything I think Frank Hammond did a really great uh, I can't even find it anymore on YouTube but he went through self and the demonic was attached to everything on self self glory self pity mm-hmm. self mm-hmm. 
<coughs> gratification, it's all the demons are attracted to that soul, where your soul is, your will and your emotions, that self, they're attracted to everything. But that can be crucified, which is a daily, Paul said, I die daily. Yeah. It's a battle. It's every day you're asking, crucify my flesh, crucify my flesh, <laughs> that you can live. But it is a war. It's a, your flesh is your biggest enemy. Well, once you get rid of all your flesh, then it's easy peasy. Yeah. So it's a constant dying. Because it's a it's not like Jesus didn't hear that too. Like not my will, but yours. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that was at the very end of his life. Mm-hmm. And he still had his will that he had to yeah. submit to the Lord. Yeah. Margie, did you have something you wanted to say? Oh, um, <laughs> I feel like this, like, concept of, like, giving your life to God and going, you know, through the death of self, it's very easy to romanticize um, when it's, when it really, really sucks. <laughs> like, it's, it does. Um, I mean, we all heard my swimming story. I'm not going to get into that again. And then amongst other things. Um, but, you know, towards, during that whole process, um, at the time, you couldn't even ask me how I was doing without me breaking down in tears. Like, I would be dead silent. Like, we'd be in the middle of Bible study. I wouldn't say a word. I wouldn't really acknowledge anything. Someone says, hey, Margie, how are you doing today? And I would just lose it because I wasn't doing okay. Because I didn't, like, my life was, like, literally falling apart and that's the point it's supposed to fall apart and you come to this realization where it's like you have to worship god in the pain because if you let it get to you you push god aside and then you're in depression and then all of that was for nothing because now god's an adversary so like if you're going to choose to go through a crucifixion that's fine but you can't lose sight of your faith because your faith is the only thing that's going to get you through it and if you're going to you know, go the opposite direction and it was all for nothing and you actually just set yourself up for more failure because now you're not close to God, you're farther away from him in anger. So just like understanding like what was the original purpose in that and that like it's not going to be pretty. It's really, 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 really ugly and it's awful and it's terrible. (laughs) But it's really beautiful. But the process is so grueling. And I mean, just personally, um, I remember... I got a vision and it was um, a picture of a really beautiful vase and then it got tumbled over and all of the water spilled out of it and it was completely empty and the vase was shattered and the Lord said well that's you you were a beautiful vase and you were filled up to the tippy top of water and then you got crashed down completely broken and now there's nothing left of you and I've never felt greater validation (laughs) it's like so I'm not crazy (laughs) like so I don't know. I guess if I if we're to say if I were to say anything, it's like it's not like oh I'm just gonna go through a purging. Like no, it, it is your life and you lose it. If you choose to go through a crucifixion, it is all consuming. It's not just like an aspect of your Christian walk. It is your Christian walk. You know you can't have the identity of Christ while having one of your own. So I mean that's I guess that's my like it's almost like a warning. Like it's not pretty and it will destroy you. It's depressing, but it's true. But it's great, you know? Yeah, I say, a, don't do it. It's depressing, but fantastic. No, yeah, no I know. I mean, we get a really saying. bad name, but I also, I just want to be real, you know? Yeah. And it, it, I don't know. No, it does I, destroy you because yeah. you look at Christ, and what did he look like when he came out of the tomb? 
I mean, that's, that's I think Marjorie's got a really good point. You got to count the cost. If you want to come out of the grave looking glorified like Christ, you got to go into the grave with nothing left of you. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, so there's a lot of believers out there that aren't aren't reflecting the full glory of Christ because the glory of Christ has been shrouded by the flesh they're allowing to remain. Mm-hmm. You know what Marjorie is saying is if you're going to look like the Christ who came out of the tomb, then you got to go into the tomb with no flesh left on, and the crucifixion is a very painful process. And it's, you know, Jesus himself said you got to count the cost because if you don't, and the crucifixion starts, that's when people will fall away. Yeah. That's when people will fall away. I mean, and so you, it's a good... you look at what happened to Paul. Paul found his identity in what? This is Paul. Okay, Saul. I should say Saul found his identity in what? Prior to. Prior to getting converted. <clears throat> Persecuting the church, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was all those things, right? So what did the Lord do? And what did that do because of it? He, he, he couldn't travel and, and do the things that he was doing before. Mm-hmm. It totally took him out of what he was. Correct. And the, both of those things, his identity was tied to that. And more importantly, too, he couldn't enter the temple anymore. You know why? He was unclean. So the Pharisee of Pharisees lost his ability to go into the temple. He lost his identity. And he had to think about that for a second. You know? And so that's what happens to us. We, we, you have to give up your identity, take off your old man, and put on the new. And then that, when, when Paul finally, his, his vision was then restored, and then now all of a sudden he realizes that, oh my gosh, and then he gets almost like retaught everything, but because he had such a great understanding of the scriptures, he was able to then speak to the Jewish people. He was able to speak then also um, to the, the Gentile, too. You know, he was so good. And God used him as an instrument because of it. But he had to go, come to the rock bottom. Like, imagine, like, um, what do I do now? My profession, you know? It's, well, because it took away the identity. So, it's the same. It's the, the toughest prayer is like, okay, Lord, strip it all away. <laughs> he just, God's like, all right, here we go, and that's why you count the cost. But I'm telling you, it's an amazing journey. I mean, it's pretty grueling. Well, it's, it's almost like being pregnant. You you give up your body mm. as a baby, mm-hmm. and it was so like. <laughs> I remember being pregnant, thinking, man, my whole life. And then when you nurse the baby, you know, your body <coughs> isn't yours; it's your baby's. You know, you're keeping it alive. So it kind of reminds me of this, that reverse giving up your body mm-hmm. is um, similar. Well, that's good. We're going to go. I know. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. How's it going? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, and this is all really good. But before we're done tonight, I want to land the plane. So, um, so this is good. So what we're seeing here with all of this is um, with regards to being able to uh, after you repent, you can now renounce, revoke these scriptures we all just went through. This is your biblical authority to use your words, like we talked about our words, and you can institute the kingdom of heaven in your life. And you can go in your prayer chamber and you can start quoting these verses to bring in the kingdom of heaven. You can't quote these verses to bring in more money. You can't quote these verses like you know, to, to bring in a, a bigger house. 
But you can quote these verses to bring in the kingdom of God. So um, then, so as we move on then, finally, what we want to do to finish this spiritual warfare aspect, we see here that as believers, when we speak and agree with God, those previous verses, by revoking and re removing these curses, because these scriptures are giving us biblical authority, godly authority that, yes, we can do this, then um, we can um, step into this place in our lives where we have the victory, okay? Um, so, um, since the door through which the enemy enters our land, okay, it's a broken down gate that allows the enemy access into the assembly of God, but, you know, we can go into repentance and renounce and revoke if we need to again and again and again, right? If you make the same mistake 10 times a day and you repent 10 times a day, you can do this again and again. So that's, that's, that's the hope. And then finally, the final aspect then, as you want to retain the land, just like if the Babylonians hadn't come into um, Israel, they might have just kind of lost the land back to the Israelites. They would have just re, you know, they would have just resettled, but they wanted to come in. So what we do is we continue to establish ourselves or establish God's kingdom in this land by replacing, instead of replacing a people, we're replacing words and we're replacing curses with blessings with our words. Um, so um, basically we've gone through um, all of these scriptures in previous um, chapters, especially the one on words. We're talked about using your words. But um, we see in Matthew 8, 13, Jesus says to the centurion, let it be done even as you have believed. Well, what's he talking about? Healing his son. Okay, Matthew 16, 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom. What do the keys do? They open things. They lock things, the demonic in your life. They unlock things, the kingdom of heaven, the blessing of God. They are representative of power and authority. And you've been given this power and authority so that you can bind and loose. And it's always interesting, whatever you bound on earth is bound in heaven. The binding and loosing starts on earth with the people of God. And it's established in heaven because God will back it. So we write the check, he backs it when we are taking care of kingdom business. So at Matthew 18, 18, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, we loose in heaven. Then we see here, uh, Matthew 21, 22, all things which you ask in prayer, believing these, you shall receive. All right. Mark 11, you have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into a sea and um, believe it, it should be done even as if you have believed. So these mountains, these are the things in your life that are the obstacles. Oftentimes, you know, they, they could be a demonic stronghold. Well, you could remove that demonic stronghold. You can cast it into the sea. Okay? If you believe, if you believe in your authority in Christ, if you believe in your identity as a kingdom citizen, if you believe in the power of your words, okay, then you can go after these mountains and you can remove them. I have removed so many mountains out of my Immovable things have been taken straight from my life. Removable. You know, just unbelievable. You just go after it and go after it and go after it. And you just start declaring it and you go to war. And mountains will move. They will move. Um, so, um, 
John 15, 16, go ye, go ye therefore and bear fruit. Um, everything that you ask in my name, you will receive. The fruit that you're going to bear is the kingdom of heaven being birthed and born in your domain. So we saw in Proverbs 18, 21 that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So as new believers, we come into our land, our covenant walk with Christ. But the enemy um, is already encamped in our domain. The first step in a victorious battle is to clear out the land. So we want to secure our borders before we storm the gates. So here's what we're talking about today. This is spiritual warfare in a nutshell. Recognize our sin. We saw that in the scriptures in Hosea. Repent. Hosea. Renounce and revoke. We saw those in those scriptures. And replace our, using our words. So we've been called into battle. We've been equipped for victory. But it's not ours if we don't take it. Because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. If you're not violent, you won't take it. It'll be taken from you. So it's important before going into battle that we know our purpose, and that's to expand the king's domain by destroying the works of the enemy. Okay? How do we expand? How did America expand its domain? Well, we took out the Indian, right? So... Um, that's the same thing in the spirit realm. When you take out the enemy by default, your kingdom expands. Okay? We do this with an understanding of our identity and our authority and our position in Christ. The question is, do we know our position? So what do we learn from um, Ephesians 1.21 and 2.6? Did someone grab that? Sure. But it's, so what we see there in that scripture is if Christ is the head and we're the body and he is seated in the heavenly places above every name, then where does his body sit? So that's the connection there. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Yeah, okay. Yes, Dan, thanks. Which, if just, yeah, which finishes that thought that you were saying there and raised him up um, and raised us up, I'm sorry, with mm -hmm. him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see there that that's our position. So what's in, if that's our position, then what's in subjection to us? The Colossians two ten. So we're completed in Christ, and he is over all, all rule and authority. So if you look at the table below, once you become a believer, at the very bottom you see unsaved man, well, once you become a believer, now you're seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. If you understand the hierarchy here, then you can begin to understand 
what a travesty it is when you take a believer and you subject them underneath the dominion of the, the Satan in the demonic realm and allow him to toy with you. Unfortunately, as a believer who houses Christ, you take Christ with you. That's trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. You know, it's just, you know, it's just something you just want to think about too. And for me, it just gave me when I re recognized that and realized that 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 when I was allowing Satan to have dominion over my life in all of these ways, and I had Christ in me and the Holy Spirit in me, and that's you're grieving the Holy Spirit and stuff. I, that's kind of what gave me a lot of that internal, um, just like digging in my heels and saying no. You know, it went from me being like, oh, do I just want this for Debbie? To like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> you know, I'm bringing Jesus down here with me and he didn't like it. He went to the cross, so he, you know, to gain victory over them. He'll stay by me, but this isn't where he belongs and it's not where I belong. So, <clears throat> so basically, to kind of like land the plane, we're just going to, so you'd say, so tomorrow, you decide you want to just start getting involved in spiritual warfare. What does this mean? You know, what, you know, it's easy and it's, it's, it's got this whole oh, spiritual warfare, you know, and you just got this, uh, and really, um, I just want to make known the overriding truth that all peoples and all the earth, you're either in one of three camps. You're one and you're one of these two camps. The first camp you're in, you're an unbeliever. Well, if you're an unbeliever in this war, everyone who's born on the earth, you're being born into a pre-existing holy war. There was war on this earth before Adam and Eve. There was war on this earth before creation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Tohu, bohu, chaos, confusion. Your big top demons. What's in the world today? Chaos and confusion. Why? Because man has not gained dominion over chaos and confusion until they rule in the earth. They'll rule in your life, too, if you don't take dominion, right? So... What we see is that when you're coming to this earth, you're already coming into a pre-existing holy war. So either you are unsaved, therefore you are a conquered people, you're captive. We see this in Isaiah 61. Behold, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the captive and to bring victory, to bring, um, to bring freedom to the, the captive. All right? So there's that. Or you are saved, but you're a prisoner of war. You've been taken captive by the enemy. He's brought you in his camp, and now you are oppressed and downtrodden. We see this in Daniel 7, 21 and 25, that the, the, um, the little horn will wage war with the saints of the Most High, and he will wear down the saints of the Most High. So we see this group of believers as being worn down. Or you are saved and you're warring. You're saved and you're not warring, then you're a prisoner of war because you're under the, the subjection of the enemy. Or you're saved and you're warring. And those who are saved and warned, these are the overcomers of Revelation 2, 3. But two, chapters 2 and 3. But what I want to just really draw your mind to the understanding is, when you read, it says, if you do these things, then you will overcome. The exhortation to do these things is the warning that not all of God's people are going to overcome. This is an if and then. If you don't do the if portion, then you're not overcoming. And if you're not overcoming, you're going to be under the oppression that we see in Daniel 7, 21. You're going to be a prisoner of war. People read Revelation like, okay, well, we're believers, so we're overcomers. Well, not if you're not doing what it says. And as you're doing it, what it says to do, you're going to look back and you're going to realize it's just basically walking in the sanctified life of casting out the enemy. So those who don't recognize the war they're in, they're not motivated nor desirous of entering the war. You can't convince a believer to take up shield and spear and go to war and get victory if they already think they have it. Don't waste your time.
help people who want help. Um, so that's just the overriding truth. So basically, go back to your four R's. You want to recognize the sin, and if you want to jump in, um, and we, so you want to recognize the sin. Why? Because this is the enemy in the camp. Okay, this is what's causing your broken down walls. Imagine a little wall and little sneaky snakes getting in. You want that's this whole goes all the way back to chapter one of this book, Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls, and that's what questions one through seven were. Um, kind of reiterating. So um, Amos 3.10 talks about the sin. So it says in Amos 3.10, it says, but they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. He's talking about the Israelites, his people, his congregation, those who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Physical picture, spiritual truth. What's a citadel? The fortified residence of the king. That's you, that's me. The king lives in us. We're fortified with our identity, with our authority, with the Holy Spirit. But we are doing violence. What's violence? It's not stabbing and shooting people. Violence is a sacrifice of inferior quality. It's an improper sacrifice. If we are a believer offering God inferior sacrifices, then we are being violent. You know, someone who doesn't know the Lord, they can't be violent in this sense. Okay, this is for people of God. Well, what's happening? Those people of God who are hoarding up violence in their citadels, who are hoarding up sin in this fortified residence of the king, well, it tells you. It says here that um, they are just as shepherd snatches from a lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so would be the sons of Israelites. Okay, that we're the sheep, but we're allowing the enemy in the camp, and he's ripping us apart. And this is what, this is a graphic illustration of what happens when we've got sin going on in our camp, okay? This is sin and sanctity that we are allowing to coexist. You know, we're walking in godliness here and sin over here. And godliness here and sin over here. That is what step one is all about, recognizing where we have sin and sanctity. They can't coexist. You've got you to kick the one out. I always say where there's garbage, there's rats, Okay? you got garbage in your life, you're going to have rats. If you want to go into warfare and win, you got to quit feeding the rats. you got healthy rats in your vessel and you want to go to war against the, the enemy over here, the rats in your vessel, they're going to eat you alive from the inside out. That's why this is the first step in spiritual warfare. You go in your prayer chamber and you clean yourself up. You get rid of the sleeper cells before you go after the motherland. So you go after, you get rid of the sleeper cells, all of a sudden the motherland just lost half of her, her strength. She was pounding on those sleeper cells to take care of business for her. Well, now you took care of the sleeper cells. Motherland's easy peasy. So, um, yeah, did you have anything? Well, I mean, and, and some, the, how, the how too with all that is, you know, the more time, the more you spend in intimacy with God, the more you get purified in Him, you get... You, you, become, you start becoming him. You start looking like him. It's just like when Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. When he came down, what happened? He's glowing. Glowing. So then what happens then is you start glowing. By, and then you come out with the fragrance of the Lord when you're in those intimate places. And then that's how spiritual warfare is won. That's where it starts. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, you just start walking and people just start getting delivered by it, like Paul's handkerchief. 
the Paul's handkerchief delivered people from demons and it healed them because of the presence, because of the glowing, because of the, the glorious nature of who God is. And, and he just, and then there was freedom in the trans and the uh, handkerchief that he had, you know, um, but how did that happen? He got alone with the father. They, the, and then they start, he started spending intimate time with him. He started getting to know him on an intimate level. And then when he came out of those places, he was a completely changed person. So. He brings the king. What happened was the handkerchief and the shadow is not what killed, healed people. What healed people was this. When Peter and Paul, and they were walking, they brought with them the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven intersected the reality of man, the reality of man had to align with the kingdom of heaven. That's why illness, sickness, and disease had to flee. Because reality of man had to align itself with the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven truth. And that's what we are. Everywhere your foot treads, it should be kingdom territory. You take the kingdom wherever you go. You, when you arrive, they say, people who operate in the demonic and in witchcraft, they say they can tell... From miles, if there's a Christian coming, they can see the glow. But they'll say this, some believers have a very dim glow, and some people, some believers have very bright. And if you have a dim glow as a believer and, and someone in the demonic realm who's dealing with witchcraft, they, they say they'll go after you with no any, without any fear. Because they know that you, it's, it's a, the, the, the glow is so low, they know that you're not operating to full potential. But they say if they see someone walk through the door and they're blinding, they leave them alone. They're not gonna. They're not gonna wrestle. They're not gonna go after the bull. So it's just interesting. It's that whole idea of coming out of the oracle, glowing, and carrying the kingdom with you. So that is the first thing you want to do if you're gonna go into warfare to bring deliverance to someone. The first thing you want to do is just get clean up. You know your, yourself, and that's how you do it. So then after you, the Lord shows you. Well, these are some areas in your life that I want you to clean up beachheads for the demonic that's sitting in your land get rid of the beachheads you get rid of the place where they can cling or hang on or have influence over you but then you want to repent you just don't want to say gee that's too bad they're there if you don't repent they're not going to leave so you you want to repent from two things you first you want to repent from the sin once you repent from sin you weaken the enemy now he didn't have a he didn't have a foothold on you you got rid of the beachhead now he's, he's now he's sunk he can't cling to anything. Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming, but he's got nothing in me. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Satan's coming, but he's got nothing in you. He can't take you out. He's got nothing to hang on to. That's the point of the repentance. And so the other thing you really want to repent from is ignorance of the war. You know, ignorance of the war, distaste for the war, lack of understanding of the war is not going to exempt you from the repercussions of war you're going to, you're in it like it or not so if you you know you want to repent from just ignorance of the war genesis 128 was the mandate rule over your domain what is that one word? 128 dr michael lake did an in-depth study on tohu and bohu chaos and confusion he said when god gave that mandate to adam and eve that was their anointing as high priests of the world. And he knew that he had given them dominion over chaos and confusion, and they were loaded for bear. They had everything they needed. The mandate to take dominion is the equipping. 
You're not going to be mandated to do something and not be given the capability to carry it out. The mandate itself is the equipping. We've been mandated to rule over our domain. What's going after our domain? Chaos and confusion and everything under them. So um, with this mandate comes everything with it, our identity, our authority, our words. And if you're not experiencing victory in war, just, you know, there's many reasons. We talked about this earlier. But I just want to just mention two things that I think are kind of like foundational. If you're going into warfare and you're not really experiencing a lot of victory, besides the fact that maybe someone else isn't interested, but maybe what's going on in, with you. The first thing might be that um, God is judging the unrepentant sin in your, your life. You know, that there is just, and, you know, Dan brought this up. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life and God's allowing this in because he's drawing attention to the sin that needs to be addressed. Right? God will judge his people. He says, hey, if you're operating in sin, these things are going to happen to you. So um, it could be that if we're not experiencing victory, it's not that the word of God isn't true. It's that the word of God is true. And it's being instituted in our lives. <coughs> when we came into covenant, we agreed that God would save us from our sin and we would obey and serve him. That was the agreement we came into when we came into covenant. But no one read this fine print. Now the fine print's biting us in the butt. Right? You need to obey. So James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, my prayer is fervent, but it's not availeth much. Well, are you the righteous man? Well, geez, I'm saved. Righteousness is obedience to God's law to the degree that one's character conforms to the image of God's nature. If that's not you, then you're not the righteous man as earnestly and as fervently as you're praying. What fixes that? Going into the prayer chair and getting rid of the sin. Truth. Truth, by definition, is that which is in conformity with the divine nature. First Peter says we have been given a divine nature. We are partaker of the divine nature. If we're not operating in truth, then we're walking and we're walking in sin. Then even though we've been given the promise of being a partaker of the divine nature, our lives are not reflecting that. That might have an issue when you go to war against the enemy. Who's recognizing that there's areas in your life where there's unrighteousness going on and he's going to go after that and zap it. And he can because you've opened the wall yourself. And that gives him legal right to come in. Repent, close the wall, and get them out. But these are things that might be going on in our lives that we have control over, which might be why, you know, we're not seeing what is promised to come to pass. There's a ton of reasons, and we can go into that in a, you know, warfare 401 or whatever. But these are just some basic things that we can be going on, like, in our lives that we can attend to. And then um, three, after you have <clears throat> repented of all that, then you just renounce. That's you start casting out. Now you can go to war. This is when you hit the battlefield, right? You hit the battlefield when the number of troops that you're facing goes from four hundred thousand to three. That's when you hit the battlefield. And he went from having semi-nuclear armaments to having a having a water pistol. His strength is gone. His numbers are gone because you cleaned your house. He's got nothing in you. Now you just. Boop, get <laughs> So, and then sometimes you just got to, um, sometimes you just got to um, keep your hands raised. We talked about this. Don't quit too soon and call it failure. 
you know, when, when they went after the city of Ai and Moses was on the hillside and every time his hands came down, they lost and they had to put stones under his hands to keep him up. Like what, 12 hours or something? So, you know, don't lower your hands too soon and call it failure. I always say start small. You know, we see in 1 Samuel 17, when David went after Goliath, he said, I have gone after the lion, I've gone after the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of those. Don't go after Goliath on your first attempt, right? Start small. God gave us a biblical example on, on, on doing that. Why? Because Revelation 12 says they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony, when you start seeing victory in your own life, you will not be able to deny your own testimony. And that's what's going to be the foundation upon which you stand to continue to enlarge your tent pegs. So start small. You know, don't go after Goliath the first time. You know, go after the depression. Go after the anxiety. You know, don't go after the cancer. Not that there's really sizes, but in our minds there is. You know, and um, there's that. And then the final thing, just basically, you want to just replace it. You want to re, you want to reestablish the kingdom of God in the land. You replace it with your words. And this is the last thing I want to say um, regarding that. Um, this is very important. When you finish warfare, the first thing and the last, the last thing you do is when you pray. You want to write this down. You forbid the enemy from any backlash and retaliation. You say, no, you cannot come after me for this warfare. You don't step off the battlefield and as you're walking away, one of them gets up and he shoots. But you know what? He's not aiming for your backside. He's aiming for your kids or your spouse or your parents. Because if he can't go after you, he'll go after your family. You say, no, I can't do that. No backlash, no retaliation, and you can't jump. You can't cast the fever off of daughter number one and it jumps on to daughter number two. Nikki was asking me about that last week. And then you cast it off of daughter number two and it went to daughter number three. She had three fevered kids in three days. The, the, the second two never had been sick. And they'll, they'll, they'll jump. You just tell them, no, you can't. So this is all done in the spirit. Easy peasy. It's done with your word. It's done with cleaning your house. Um, so this is the last thing I want to say, and that's this. This gives us a whole new perspective on the Garden of Eden. Because what's going on in the Garden of Eden, everyone always asks, oh, did, did Eve really talk to a snake? Uh, that's Satan right there distracting from the true issue. Because Adam and Eve entered a pre-existing holy war. That's what happens to believers. We enter into a pre-existing holy war. We don't know it. God's desire was for their victory, and he, he equipped them with the mandate. You know, he, he desires our victory as believers, and he equips us with the mandate. But Adam and Eve did not know the magnitude of what was at stake. They didn't have any idea what, what the magnitude was. You know, and as believers, we don't either. We don't know what, if we don't war, so then what happens? I don't know. But um, simply, God, it's God's desire to see his people obey. See, he didn't tell Adam and Eve what was at stake, all of history for all of mankind. Why? It was his desire to see them obey simply because they loved them. That's it. You obey. Not, not because of all this stuff over here. You obey because you love me more than you love you. I'm never going to tell you about this because that's not the issue. All of history, all of mankind for all of history isn't the, isn't the issue. And you know what? Every person who walks the earth is given the same opportunity. We are all born into a pre-existing holy war. God is looking for an act of obedience. Okay? And that um, this act of obedience is born out of love for God. So really, at the end of the day, I wanted to say this and then be done. Warfare 
It's a love issue. It's a love issue. Do you love, do you love God? Do you want to expand his kingdom? Do you want to defeat the Satan that put his son on the cross and flogged him? Do you want to defeat the Satan that has destroyed quadrillions of lives from the beginning of time until today? Look at the news. Do you love God enough to want to destroy the enemy that does these things to children? Warfare, it's, it's, it's a love issue. Do you love God enough to put it to death the sin in your life so that you can war for him victoriously and bring his kingdom to earth and reflect him? That's warfare. That's it. So I'll close in prayer. I have a question for you. <laughs> And if you guys need to leave, you can. I, I want to be aware of you. I know you have kids at home. Go ahead. My thoughts together. Um, when you like say like um, your words, like uh, in the name of Jesus, like declare unto decree, or in the name of Jesus, and you're talking about words binding and loosing, what is the difference between declaring, decreeing? I think declaring, decree, like you said, is established. Established, same. So binding and loosing, is that the same as declaring, decree? No, that's a dumb question. Mm -hmm. It's just using your words and whatever comes out to, I always just say, what is it you want to see done? Say it. So it doesn't matter if you say, I declare decree or I loose or I bind, it's all the same thing. No. Okay. Those scripture verses are just giving you biblical foundation to hang your hat on that, yeah, I can say this and I can expect it to be done. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. All right. Lord Jesus, we come bow before you, Lord. We ask that you would even as Marjorie shared, empty us out. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do a work in our hearts that would cause us to be willing. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as your people, we are willing to die to self. We are willing to be lost in you and to be raised to look just like you and to accomplish your work in this earth and glorify you in that way. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that your sacrifice offers. We thank you for the salvation that your blood offers. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give us wisdom and insight today and tomorrow and the next day, and that you would be the light that shines upon our path, that our foot may keep the straight, Lord, path and accomplish the destiny that you have ordained for each and every one of us specifically. And I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, for the victory that is ours in you. And I thank you for everyone here and our desire, Lord God, to know you better and to grow in this. And it's about you, Lord. It's about loving you, and it's about... Um, reflecting you. But Lord, we thank you that as a result of this, we get to enjoy the, the, the manifestation of your kingdom in our lives and the lives of those around us. It's just a fringe benefit, and we're thankful for that. So I pray, Lord Jesus, as we go out this week, that you would bring wisdom and revelation to our understanding and that we could um, walk more fully in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Anyone who needs to leave?